Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. This podcast is brought to you in part by you, our friends and supporters at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Ba Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations, so here's a little bit about what they've done and how I know them. I'm not so sure that I like Twitter. I only started to use it to promote this project, and I've often struggled with how to deliver my intended message. I'd probably give it up and stay with Facebook and Instagram were it not for one unexpected experience, a meaningful Twitter communication with Theodore Richards. Once it became clear that Theodore and I shared a commitment to awakening the deepest human capacities through holistic education and parenting, Twitter led to phone calls and emails. I learned about Theodore's international service work, his deep plunge into spiritual philosophies and practice, his lucid writing, his joy with family, his leadership with the Chicago Wisdom Project, and his abiding love that permeates everything that he does. Theodore Richards is a philosopher, poet, and novelist. As the founder of the Chicago Wisdom Project, editor of the online magazine, Reimagining Education Culture World, and a board member of Homebound Publications. His work is dedicated to reimagining education and creating new narratives about our place in the world. He has received degrees from various institutions, including the University of Chicago and the California Institute of Integral Studies, but has learned just as much studying the martial art of Bagua teaching in various settings with students, and as a traveler from the Far East to the Middle East, from Southern Africa to the South Pacific. He's the author of seven books and numerous literary awards, including two Nautilus Book Awards and two Independent Publisher Awards. His most recent book, The Great Imagining, Spirituality in an Age of Apocalypse, a Forward Reviews Book of the Year finalist and Nautilus Book Award winner. His next book, A Letter to My Daughters, Remembering the Lost Dimension and the Texture of Life, is slated for release in fall 2018. He lives in Chicago with his wife and daughters. You can find out more about Theodore by visiting the show notes at RemarkableEducators.com and by joining us at Patreon.com slash RemarkableEducators, as Theodore will be featured in an upcoming newsletter one of the many rewards available for a small monthly contribution. Theodore, thank you so much for joining us on Meetings with Remarkable Educators. You've just done so very, very much in in your life and in your commitment to understanding spirituality and spirituality's relationship to education and just so much more. I kind of don't even know where to begin. Where do you think we should begin? <laughs> well, thanks so much, Ba. Yeah, where where to begin? I don't, you know, for me, I think I always start to begin, you know, like I can imagine being in a circle with a bunch with a group of of young people, and I think, I think I start with uh, where they're at, you know, and I guess where I'm at is here on the south side of Chicago, raising my three daughters, and that all sort of, for me, that's all sort of woven in and that very kind of like specificity of of all those things and my kind of place in the cosmos at this 
particular moment in time is really kind of where I'm starting from, you know? I, I do. And I think I mentioned to you in one of our private phone calls that uh, I live right next door to my two granddaughters who are eight yeah. and uh, 11. And also I have a daughter. So I'm familiar with, <laughs> with that part of yeah. the world as well, for sure. Yeah. And I, I know you're writing a new book called Letters to My Daughter. Why don't we just jump right in there? What What's the book about and what motivates you to do it? Yeah, that's that's actually a great place to start because I, in a lot of ways, it's the most kind of alive. It's asking, I think, some of the most alive questions for me right now, which is, I think, you know, from a, an, an educator's perspective, if we can kind of come to folks and, and engage them in the questions that are the most alive for them, I think we'll, we'll get somewhere somewhere good and meaningful. So yeah, so for me, so I wrote that book and and kind of framed it that way just because watching my children grow up in this world, you know, that I've sort of described as apocalyptic, uh, and we can kind of talk a little bit about what that means, but at, at a real kind of, I think, moment in which in which there are a lot of things that are in transition and in transformation and changing rapidly, and I wanted to try to give them some context and give them some, and of course, not just them, but of course, anyone reading the book, some some sense of kind of where I see where that we're going and what we need to kind of work on as a as communities, as human beings, as a species. And the big question, the big kind of real juicy kind of challenge, I think, that I see in the world as I walk around in the street and also as I reflect and kind of remember some of the experiences in my life that have been most most profound. Um, the thing that I think that I think we're often losing, and I think we often lose this in our process of educating and forget what it's all about, is we're losing what I refer to as some of the texture of the world. We're losing our sense of kind of the messiness and dirtiness and and depth of the world. And it's an invitation and a call to fight for that, to not succumb to the kind of two-dimensional screen world that we're sort of in all the time, to the kind of living our lives in these kind of sterile, replicable spaces all the time. And so the book itself is really, in a lot of ways, it's travel literature. It's stories of, of places I visited in my younger days, trips I took, you know, working in an adult literacy program in Africa or traveling across uh, Western Pakistan into Iran, uh, visiting Altamira in Spain. Uh, th- those, so those are some of the like stories that I'm telling. And these are stories in which I kind of really like gain for me, gain a sense of this like deep, deep textured world, a world that is not the same everywhere, a world that has, that it's beautiful in its messiness and in its diversity. And that, and there's real, I think, learning in that and learning that we can't get just from sort of sitting in front of a screen all day. And I, and I, and I, and I worry for my children, you know, well, some of it is just sort of an understandable need to kind of control our world and to kind of reign in the chaos. Um, So some of it is kind of, I guess you could say understandable, you know, it's this like fear of the wild that we have that's really deep in us. And and there are good reasons for that, you know, because, um, you know, our, our, our ancestors sort of grappled with, with the real dangers that, 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 that we, that we confronted in the wild. All right. So, um, I know that you're very interested in what you call the marginalized communities 
And you even go so far in the, the book Creativity, Creatively Maladjusted, to suggest that it is those people in the marginalized communities who are, quote, creatively maladjusted, who will bring forth a, a new or better vision uh, an opportunity in education. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure, sure. So so I borrow from, from Martin Luther King's statement where he says, and he talks in, in different different at different times about this concept of creative maladjustment. And what he's suggesting in, in the context that he's talking is is really about um the context of of, of Jim Crow and and uh white supremacy and racism in the United States. And what he's saying is is is, is look, if for a person to be well adjusted in a system which is insane is 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 actually not a good thing um he also understands very well that there is such a thing as as kind of maladjustment that is destructive you know that um that's that's not really useful and productive um and is often self-destructive in many contexts so i mean it's not to say that he is suggesting nor am i that in in every context that 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 this kind of maladjustment or response to oppression is always always plays out in in a constructive way but what he's suggesting is that it's really our responsibility not to be well adjusted to the to an to to a system that is not just what is required is to be maladjusted but in a way that's creative and transformative and that can actually reimagine the kind of uh uh structure of society um so i use that terminology uh in my work and 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 think about it a lot in 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 the work we do here on the south side of chicago and 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 really it's it's taking a look at uh the communities that we work in and recognizing those communities not as being kind of problems but looking at them as being assets and and just to like really hone in on that point i think is really important because a lot of the time when people talk about uh uh, work in in marginalized or oppressed communities, a lot of the language that's used is about kind of trying to fix those communities, right? There's something wrong with those communities. There's something sort of pathological about those communities. Um, and the problem is trying to fix them. Um, the way we're looking at this and where we're looking at young people growing up in those communities is rather rather than looking at those young people as as kind of problems or someone that needs to be fixed, we're taking a look at them and saying, you are an asset, that your position in the society, being marginalized, not being favored, being oppressed, actually gives you a particular wisdom because you can see the system in its injustice. You can see what's wrong with it more easily than someone who is benefiting from that system. So, so then how do you specifically go about drawing that forth uh, from in those communities? It starts, it always starts with... Uh, well, it's it in 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 a very kind of basic. This will sound like an oversimplification, but it's 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 oftentimes in just saying that, um, meaning in just saying to a group of people, "I'm interested in what you have to say and in learning from you." That completely can change the dynamic of the interaction. So, starting there is 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 the first piece, right? So that's and that's and that's. Um, uh, in, in, in many cases that's, uh, for, and I'll give you an example of a group that I worked with. Uh, we worked at one point in, in Harvey, Illinois, which is a, 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 a very economically depressed, 
isolated uh, suburb just just south of Chicago. Uh, we worked in a program for people who were. It was a program that was designed for people who were high school dropouts, and many of them were formerly incarcerated. So, the kind of language that kind that entered into the space was when the people ident- and and we did a just sort of one small class out of a much larger program, but the kind of language that was generally used in that space was that the young people, and these were 18 to 24-year-olds, mostly young men, uh, the kind of language that was used was language like people would refer to themselves as high school dropouts, for one, or as, uh, as, as ex-offenders, um, that kind of language, right? Um, and, and in addition to that, there was a lot of language about uh, the mistakes that people made and taking responsibility for those mistakes. Now, I am not suggesting people shouldn't recognize their mistakes or take responsibility. But what we tried to do with the young people was re- reframe that. And a lot of our work has to do with reimagining narratives because I believe that a big part of the way we put together our world and we understand who we are is through stories. And the story that the young people brought into the program or the story they've been given, I should say, by society was that they are failures because of the choices they'd made personally as individuals. And this really gets back to this, this individualism we have in, in, in kind of um, capitalist culture, which is that they were individuals who made mistakes, therefore they ended up in this situation. Um, so what we simply did was say, we're not going to refer to you as high school dropouts. We're not going to refer to you as ex-offenders. We're going to figure out what your gifts are and, 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 and we'll use those gifts as how you can identify yourself. So you, you're no longer an ex-offender, you are a poet, right? And then we'll uh, invite you to really tell your story about how you got to where you are in this, in, this, in this life. And what emerged from that was, yeah, of course, some individual acts, um, but also this whole web of relationships the, the, the structure of society, the police, the people on your corner, the school system, all these different things. So in looking at this kind of web of relationships, we were able to try to then reframe the way we thought about a person and their situation in the world. And from their vantage point, they, could, they, could, they had the gift to then critique the society at, at large. So uh, that's hardly an oversimplification. I mean, that's a very profound, and I think it points to what I've come uh, and Josette and I have practiced for so many years, and that is switching to what's arising rather than to outcomes um, and uh, and moving to the, the actuality. And in other words, like, here's a difficulty. Well, if that difficulty, something's pushing it forward, what's the well-being? Mm-hmm. In other words, moving to the side of Hey, well-being exists here. It's right. It's not. It's not anywhere else. It's always right here. And what we're going to do is, rather than try to alleviate, uh, you know, change symptoms or difficult, we're going to try to allow that well-being to come forward. And it starts with you being able to express yourself. I, I don't think that's yeah. an oversimplification at all. And I'm sure the stories that arise <laughs> yeah. from it are are very powerful. We, Josette and I worked with a uh, on Troost Avenue in Kansas City with a uh, charter school. Uh, Troost is a very difficult part of Kansas City, and there, uh, the only requirement was that the kids who came to this charter school had to want to go to college. 
They could come from the most difficult backgrounds. They could even not know how to read, but they had to want to go to college and we helped them. And what the, one of the challenges was that in the curriculum, they weren't, allow, they weren't allowing these kids' stories to be part of the curriculum. Teaching Jane Austen right. rather than drawing forth their biographies was not working. So when we switched to that perspective, they, they just took off. Great success. I think that it's really um, a couple things happen when you invite those stories in. I think the the one one thing that happens is you allow people to be heard and to deal with that part of themselves that has to do with their emotions, with their with their traumas, um, their uh, their fears uh, and their joys, right? So uh, their feelings, you know, and uh, it it. You know, it it seems it seems sort of ridiculous to su- to, to suggest this as, as if it's something radical, but in fact, in in many most learning contexts, it is radical to suggest that the feelings need to be integrated into the process, and that's I think from a holistic perspective, that is uh, absolutely what 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 has to be done. And the, the experience, and say with that particular group we worked with, you know. Um, as we began to work with them, the the, challenge, the, the challenges they had, uh, and they were these young these young men were were working on getting their GEDs. And the problem with them, the problem that the challenge they had in getting their GED, it turned out, had much less to do with their academic proficiency or their certainly than their than their intelligence. What it really had to do with is them working through their trauma, and. Um, in being invited to tell their story, that was the beginning of that process of working through their trauma. And and the other point about that that's that I think is so great is in addition to that, it also situated them as teachers for other people because when they they begin to then tell their story and share their story, they can they can be teachers as much as as much as learners. And that kind of distinction between the two gets gets uh, gets blurred, which is important. Yeah, James Gilligan was the head of some part of Massachusetts uh, penal system, and he uh, he just invited the most heinous criminals that we know to sit down and tell their story, and they turned into trustees, received high school, and in some cases community college diplomas, and became mentors to uh, some of the younger uh, inmates to do something different. It's so important. Everybody has an internal truth or, or or understanding that they're working out of, no matter how different it seems from us. And I know that's an extreme example. Um, but you're also talking about something. You're talking about something deeper. You're saying not only do the narratives allow the traumas to be uh, to be dealt with and the sense of self to come forward. But you're actually talking about this, as I understand it, in terms of teaching for liberation. And I'm just, yeah, can you absolutely. go into that a little bit for us? Yeah. So, you know, and I, and, and I draw, um, you know, from, you know, Paulo Freire is probably the sort of uh, person people think of the most when we talk about this, this, this idea, but, but Part of it, part of what's going on here is that it is that we're not just talking about um, kind of get you know from a from a holistic perspective. Again, we're educating not just sort of to get certain information or skills 
in 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 the student what we're trying to do is is empower the student to take control of her life to uh to become a teacher to to actually look at and critique society to critique the culture that's in power and to then it when necessary to actually restructure and reimagine that society um now you know, I, I like to I like to uh, bring in bring in Thomas Berry, who people don't think of in terms of that notion of liberation, really. But Thomas Berry always says that uh, used to say that uh, we uh, most of the the destruction on the planet is being done by people with PhDs, and um, you know you can probably add MBAs or or JDs to that. And almost too. all uh, cabinet members since at least the Vietnam War have been Ivy League graduates. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. So, so what does that mean? Does it mean that anyone who goes to an Ivy League school is is a bad person or evil somehow? I, I don't think that's what it means at all, actually. Um, but what I think it does mean is there is a particular lens through which they are seeing the world. And for Thomas Berry, he would say that they have a they're they're trapped in a story, and this is a story that sees us as isolated individuals who are competing with each other for resources on this planet. And that's and that is the story that people have. And now it's very hard. It, very, very smart people get stuck in that same story. You know, you see it all the time. And so it's it's not a question of just being smart enough. I, I think there's an actual wisdom that people possess who are not benefiting from the story, who are excluded from the story. And that actually giving people some tools and giving creating the space for people to then tell their story from outside of that story and then be able to critique it. So that's the that's the kind of liberatory concept, which is that we're trying to find space for people to tell their story in a way that doesn't just empower them, but it actually situates them as people who can can empower others and teach others. We have to God knows we have to listen to people who are not necessarily in on Wall Street or at the university right now. There's, we have to listen to people who are at the margins. I think there's a wisdom there. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them, and I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. This teaching story is called Theoretical Instances. Where are you going? Someone asked the wise fool. I'm riding to town. Then you'd better leave your donkey behind, for there are robbers on the road and someone might steal it. The wise fool thought it was safer to ride his donkey than to leave it in the stable at home, where it might equally be stolen. His friend therefore lent him a sword to defend himself with. On a lonely part of the road, he saw a man walking towards him. That must be a bandit, said the wise fool to himself. I will anticipate him. The innocent traveler was surprised when, as they, was, as they were soon within earshot, the wise fool called out, Here is a sword. You can have it. Now let me keep my donkey. The traveler agreed and took the sword, delighted with his luck. When he returned home, the wise fool told his friend, You are quite right, you know. Swords are very useful things. Yours saved my donkey for me.
Let's have some fun interpreting this teaching story. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash remarkableeducators, and you have access to our detailed comments on how this story applies to education and parenting. Of course, that's just our perspective. The fun comes with community dialogue as the many shades of the teaching story come alive. See you there. In, in, so you, you, of course, have started the Chicago Wisdom Project, and as you've said, it deals with the, some marginalized communities uh, in the south side of Chicago. And uh, I appreciate that. And you talk about the five pillars of the Chicago Wisdom Project, wisdom of the elders, creativity, connection to nature, mentoring. But I wanted to talk to you a bunch about the last one, rites of passage. Um, I don't. You may not know, but I have been a promoter and leader in at least out here on the West Coast in rites of passage for many, many years, and have had the great joy of facilitating rites of passage for many young people, as well as because of my developmental understanding, being able to move a right. whole family through the stages, if you will, of a rite of passage. So how do you see it? And I would like us to kick this back and forth a little bit because I just think yeah. it's so important. And excuse me, just one more thing. Um, perhaps uh, on, on a previous podcast with Four Arrows from the Native American community, we talked about this also, and he also sees it as critical. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead, roll, roll us into this. Yeah, sure. No, and, and I really want to hear more about what you have. To, I, I, for me, this is, this is a very... Um, uh, rich and also kind of open question, you know, so I'm, 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 and what I mean is I'm, I'm far from, from, from having the answer to how we can reintegrate rites of passage, authentic rites of passage in, in, into a civilization that seems that has largely lost them, you know, so I'm, I think it's an open question that we've got to keep kind of grappling with. Um, and I really admire, uh, Four Arrows work on this. So, um, uh, that's great. Um, so I, I'll, I'll say a couple things and then we can kind of, you know, yeah, dialogue about it. I think that, uh, I guess I'll say, first I'll say that I, I, I look at our, um, this kind of, mo I, I, I've described this as an apocalyptic moment in human history, by which I mean not that, not just that the, not that the world is literally ending, but that our worldview is ending this worldview that's dominated by consumer capitalism and this kind of individualism and industrial uh, industrial civilization. I think that's coming to an end. And we're really kind of, as a species, grappling with what comes next. We don't really know what it means to be a human being in this, in this world. Um, and that, and that really speaks to this question of a rite of passage. I, I can, man, I, you know, um, I, I, I often think of the moment, uh, um, when my daughters were born and just how, incredible it is to go from this womb world into our world and what a what a kind of and that and and that is sort of what a rite of passage is it's to move from one way of being to another um and it's particularly important for people um who are uh coming of age meaning uh entering um, working through adolescence, entering into adolescence, uh, becoming f adults, uh, becoming men and women, and what that actually means, uh, how, they, how they fit in in the world. So, um, 
it's so often it's so often been the experience that I've had and observed that many folks are uninitiated and don't actually have any sense of their place in the world and feel profoundly lost and lonely because of it. So I think it's a, a kind of open question and one that we're all challenged to do as educators um, and as, 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 as elders or, or men and women is to figure out spaces and processes to help people move through that, through that, through that experience of entering into adulthood and entering into, into, uh, um, into a community and what that really means. You know, um, and I think part of what's part of the process of losing that is this uh, uh, process of no longer thinking of ourselves primarily as part of communities, but as individuals, you know. Um, so uh, those are some thoughts. I want to bounce it back to you, though, and hear a little more what you have to say, though. Well, I mean, well, if you have f- five hours, I could roll on and on about this. <laughs> But um, I I just want to point out something uh, specifically that a colleague who's since passed away and a good friend, Rachel Kessler, who was able to actually bring rites of passage uh, into a uh, New York City school uh, up in Harlem there. Um, and, and she had a semester long to do it and she did it a certain way. And I'd recommend, um, her book, The Soul of Education or, uh, the Mysteries program, which is ongoing after her passage, you can probably find it on the uh, internet. <clears throat> but um, she's one of several who have tried to bring it into uh, school systems. So I think that's just important to note for, for you and our listeners. And this is really incredibly successful, really a sweet woman. Um, and then uh, I... Um, I want to say that uh, I have I've expanded the notion of rites of passage. First, I want to go back and say that there are academicians who have studied rites of passage across time and culture, and they have been able to uh, see that there's really six basic elements to any rite of passage, and that if you don't have all the elements in the rite of passage, then the rite of passage isn't successful and. I think uh, since, as you say, so much of this has been lost, I think it's really a good idea for people to just use that framework of those six elements. And then we've been able to go ahead and say, okay, now those are the elements, but that's how they did it. And, you know, I am not a Mescalaro Apache as much as I respect them. So I'm not going to do a right. Mescalaro Apache thing here. I have to do what I have to do yeah. in my world. But knowing these elements, if I fill them with some power, uh, then then I can go ahead and create, we can co-create the rite of passage uh, that's necessary. And so I just, you know, where Four Arrows and I really agreed strongly was the importance of the, what we call the liminal or the gap experience, where there's part of the rite of passage which temporarily suspends what the story was that we were living so that a new openness or what you called the messiness or the texture of the world becomes so apparent. In other words, we've at least dissolved some of the filters that keep us from connecting uh, deeply uh, to that messiness, that openness, that chaos, that unknown. And um, 
I, I'm down on my knees for these, and uh, just because it changes everyone. It changes everyone. And just before throwing it back to you, I want to mention one more thing, and that is because we understand the opportunities at different ages, we've been able to create a very successful rite of passage for children at between 10 and 12 years of age. And that's amazing. And that's just amazing. And this past year, we did it for the first time with boys and girls together. And since relationship is so important and we have to break down the gender barriers, we feel very strongly that creating this opportunity and this openness, I think there were uh, 16 young people involved, and creating this opportunity and openness is just was amazing. And them starting to look at each other as people and being able to say to one another what their gender stereotypes are and being able to mm. appreciate their different views on these things. So yeah, I, I so into right, it. I can't right. tell you. I guess I'm taking yeah. your time here, I, but I, no, no, not at all. No, I no, I actually appreciate everything you're saying, and I'm 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 happy to learn. Um, you know, this feels like a yeah, like you said, a subject that could you know five hours would be a just scratch the surface on on a subject like this. But I'll say. Um, you know the 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 reference you made to that kind of liminal space and 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 really kind of confronting the chaos i think is so is so important in getting out of um on a practical level for us one of the things that's been most helpful is 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 when we can move with a group from a uh you know kind of like you know we've done we've done work with people in kind of after school settings and in schools or in 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 things like that but when we actually take everyone with us, uh, you know, in a bus or a van and, uh, they leave their, their, their cell phones behind. Um, and they're just out in a, in the wilderness for a few days, uh, you know, in a cabin or a tent or whatever. And that, you know, that, that in itself doesn't make it a rite of passage, but what it, but it is, it is very much kind of like a practical step toward that kind of, you know, getting out of the, the 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 story that they're in the rest of the time uh as you put it and moving toward the possibility of a of a of a new story um you know that's like just just can be really really powerful um you know and i and i like the openness to to actually to to the kind of mixed mixed gender experience most of the work we've done has been that we've done a little bit of of separating but but more like for a session rather than for a whole experience. Um, because I do think we're kind of, you know, have to be really open to how our world is changing and that we're not, you know, living in a, in a traditional kind of situation. So we have to, you know, and we have to learn, we have to learn to live with each other, you know, and understand each other. So I, I like that for sure. Yeah. That's so much of what it's about. Um, like you said, we could go on for a while here, but there are, other things that uh, I wanted to touch on, um, the, there, the, the one of the challenges I have, and I wonder what you think about this, is so you have these wonderful uh, aspects of the of the wisdom projects, and you're you know you work with the kids to bring them forward, and there's this underlying spiritual aspect in which their wholeness begins to come forward and express itself. But I mean. W- it seems to me, I guess I'm re- re- referencing my own frustrations here because 
getting parents and educators, and I've run three different schools, and um, and with Josette, who's a champion parent educator, um, we haven't really been able to create in the school in the holistic schools we had, or even among generally answer the question who is the educator and how you know to have all this set up is one thing but who's delivering it is another and we have not found the magic bullet on that one i'm just wondering what you might have to say about that it's not easy um (laughs) you know so i'll i'll um you know i i i share that same kind of uh yeah yeah that's a challenge for sure um i think um i think what i'd like to say about it more generally is i i think that one of the ways in which and i include myself in this and our work in this one of the ways in which i think holistic educators are often um not 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 succeeding in terms of being holistic is by still sort of compartmentalizing the youth as and 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 what i mean is as separate from the 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 communal or family context and what i mean by that is if we're to have truly holistic a truly holistic approach to education it really needs to engage the family as a whole it needs to engage the community as a whole um rather than sort of isolating the the child, you know, um, kind of as something separate, a separate category. Uh, so how do you do that? How do you involve other people? Well, it's, it's, it's a little bit mysterious, I think, and it's, it's a challenge. And it has to be done, you know, I think it has to be done organically. Um, you know, I think I'd say my, the most success that, I, I, that we've had uh, in terms of, you know, engaging people as, as teachers has been when people are kind of in relationship with us and uh, are able to kind of uh, learn and grow with us in, in our, in our process um, rather than kind of going out and, and kind of hiring folks, um, you know, uh, uh, in a more kind of conventional way. Um, because it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's, it, it's, it's really, it's really deep work. You know, it's really deep work. You know, for example, if you're going to engage in something like a rite of passage, you can't just sort of, you know, you need to you need to be initiated yourself. You need to have gone through these these profound experiences yourself. So it's it's not it's not it's not easy for sure. And we have, of course, we have a whole society that's been educated in a particular way. And that that requires some unpacking. We all have these kind of like, you know, this is what, what I what I what I think is really significant about. That, that people often don't don't think about in in education is that what we're really doing when we educate a person it's not that we're giving them information or even or skills it's that we're we're teaching them we're giving we're, we're offering them metaphors or stories about the world and if we're educated in a particular way what that does is it really cultivates a worldview for a person and so the way we've been edu- and, and and a worldview is something that's 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 not like it's not it's not just processed intellectually. It's not enough to kind of just sort of uh, you know um, think about it because it's all it's it's mostly subconscious. It's mostly our, in our unconscious that our worldviews are played out. You know, um, the way our teachers lined us up in kindergarten 
are you know that's 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 playing out in our unconscious our whole lives <laughs> don't right don't bring it up don't bring it up oh my gosh <laughs> right so you know i mean you know like when you you know like um you know the the way uh you know like you know were you allowed to use the bathroom when you want or do you have to wait for for potty time you know what i mean like those kinds of little little things you little know, they're really not uh, little yeah they they're not li- no absolutely right i'm yeah exactly exactly they're big things but we don't we don't think that that's what we're learning we think in kindergarten we learned our abcs no what we learned is whether we have control of our bodies or not that's what we really learned which is which has to do with our fundamental worldview which is why it's so hard to find um uh, it's so it's hard to teach in this way because we have all these assumptions, all these kind of defaults. It's much like parenting, you know, like um, I think maybe I heard you say this in one of your other podcasts or or maybe I read it somewhere. But I think it's it. we all have this like default thing of going back to the way our parents raised us because that really taught us who we were and what, what's kind of normal, you know, and I think it's it's similar with how we were schooled as well. Um, okay, so. but you've traveled the world, not the whole world, but so much of it, and not only just traveled, but you've integrated yourself in such meaningful ways in these various uh, societies and so on, and you've studied with, with the great Matthew Fox, and I'm sure you've done a whole lot of inner, inner, inner work in whatever form that takes. That's not what most of the rest have done. So it's kind of like the transmission through books or I have found even face-to-face, unless I have a lot of consistency with, I'm talking about adults here, There's yeah. it's very hard to bring it forward just because of uh, all the things you just said. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I think I'm less offering an answer than just saying, yeah, right. It is, it is, is, yeah. I mean, it is hard for sure. You know, I think, you know, I think though there, there are ways to get there without necessarily traveling the world. Um, you know, some people have profound, you know, we, we all have our own profound experiences and maybe, you know, figuring out ways that kind of access a person's depth, I think is, is a good step in the right direction, you know? Um, and that means like, you got to do the hard, the hard work, you know, the easy work is, is I think the intellectual stuff. I think the intellectual is very important. Don't get me wrong, but I think that, you know, the easy part is getting someone to conceptually understand what, what, what holistic education is or what what a rite of passage is those things are easy but i mean i think to really uh uh to really understand it on a on a on a on a deeper level is um um that that requires that requires the the deep the deep personal work which is which is you know which is which that's the hard work the real work i think well um, we've been talking a while. I want to make sure that we've covered everything that you want to talk about. So what, what, what would you, what have we left out that you really wanted to get into here in our conversation? I'm really, uh, um, I, I think, you know, when I look at my own, my own children in the world that they're, that they're, um, that they're growing up in, I think that, really getting back to kind of the thing we talked about uh in the very beginning which is the kind of re re-embedding in the in the texture of the world is just really so important um and and it's because we're living in an apocalyptic moment we're living in a moment when we've we've kind of reached the limits to what 
to what uh, to to global capitalism. We've reached it. I think the limits to global capitalism in a in a in a kind of practical ecological way as we as we pave over and 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 destroy our planet. But we're also reaching the limits of that in a spiritual way, in the sense that we really need to then we really need to start remembering. I think what what it means to be human, and that means kind of engaging in that textured world again the, the the world of three dimensions not just two uh so i think that's uh that's the thing that's most alive for me in my work you know and as i and, and certainly in my work as a parent for sure you know like finding finding that that's the work that i see my daughters doing in the world Great. And I have one last question, and I ask everyone in the hopes that somehow all of this collectively will will have a certain kind of influence. And that is, I know, and probably you know, that there's many parents, educators, and even youth who are what we might say on the fence. They see the problems. They're not blind to it. They see them getting worse and worse. And right. but they want to move over, if you will. They want to flip that switch. They have some conceptual understanding of holism and so on. And they're kind of like right there. But the things we talked about earlier, the conditionings and all that sort of thing still get in the way. What would you say to those people right at the border to invite them into that critical first step? Yeah, I mean, in some ways that is like the most... That is that is so important, right? Because we've we've um, um, if there's any if there's any way we're, we're to generate kind of the, enough enough energy around the questions that are important to us, I think it's it's figuring out how to invite invite young people into that into that you know kind of in, into the work. Um, so what to say? I think, I think it's, I think the, you know, I think, um, I think it begins with generally, um, and this is less of an elevator speech than it is sort of an elevator listening. And what oh, I mean that's that well is, said. I like that. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, what it means is like, is, is, is I think when you start from a place of what wakes you up in the middle of the night, what makes you angry and scared. That's and, that's what Josette uh, says too, is and, to acknowledge and, and also that, joy yeah. and also joyful, you know, and also joyful. Like just asking that of people, I think it gets to all that other stuff that you that you and I are are, are talking about, you know. Um but it 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 absolutely if it requires nothing else, it requires accessing and and that's and that's that's part of that texture that I'm talking about it's it's not turning away it's not just about kind of going out in the world and 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 you know and and doing camping trips or or hiking the Himalayas it's about actually confronting our own dark place and 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 traumas and 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 deep questions you know but I think I think in the once once we ask and can get to a place where we are really inviting people to honestly look at what their own concerns are i think that we'll find that we share a lot more than we than 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 we differ on great well thank you so much thank you for this really uh, interesting and informative podcast really really appreciate it. well thanks to you i really enjoyed being here 
Meetings with Remarkable Educators is brought to you in part by our friends and supporters on Patreon. If you enjoy our podcast and want access to enriching gifts for parents and educators, please visit patreon.com slash remarkableeducators and consider becoming a patron. Your support means the world to us and will allow us to continue this essential project. Our sound engineer is Dimitri Young. Our webmaster is Nathan Young. And our all-important social media maven is Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at remarkable-educators.com. This is Bob Lovemore reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.